Welcome to Monk's Tape. Hello, everyone. This is Corey McCarthy, and welcome to another episode of Monk's Take. Uh, today, we're taking a bit of a break from our Origins series, where we interview coaches and talk about how they began in the profession, to uh, have a special guest. Joining us on the phone is a longtime softball coach, former dean of students, and recently retired, uh, Dick Bailey. Coach Bailey, thanks so much for joining us uh you know recently announced the retirement up on the website and uh, i know uh, we got a lot of comments and and uh made the news and all those kinds of things big news How, how's retirement treating you oh uh, retirement's good but everybody probably probably said it's about time he's so damned old <laughs> i don't know about that i think your presence is going to be missed by athletes and and <laughs> coach Smythe for sure and definitely us up in the press box well uh, i had a wonderful time yeah, I know, and you had uh, you had a very interesting uh, career, and I just kind of want to talk to you about, you know, your time here at St. Joe's and and your time before St. Joe's and what brought you here. Um, so I'm just gonna ask some open ended questions and and let you fire away. Uh, sure. So Dick, you um, you know you you told your story a little bit, and it was quoted in the release about how you became uh, a softball coach in general and also how you ended up here at St. Joe's as a dean of students and then uh, assumed the coaching job. Just kind of go into that a little bit more, if, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, probably my, my softball coaching started uh, while I was still on active duty in the Marines. I was stationed in uh, South Africa with the sister naval attache down there. And uh, Nathan, the kids, and I went down there. We were down there for three and a half years, and we lived in Cape Town. And uh, if you if you want to get you know be involved in athletics and things, you joined an athletic club. And uh, Hamilton Athletic Club was just outside of uh, Cape Town, so I went over there and joined. I played racquetball and things like that. And I, uh, one of the first days I was over there, I noticed uh, uh, young ladies playing softball. So I went over, introduced myself, and. Uh, and uh, next thing you know, they asked me to coach the team. So this all started in 1970, probably 1973. So I started coaching them, and it was an interesting team uh, from the point of view. It, 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 most people know it was apartheid was still going on, and uh, Nelson Mandela was still in prison out in Robben Island. So it was just white white ladies and. My battery uh, were in their 40s, and I had other players that were 18, 19 years old. So we ran, we ran the range, you know, the different range of ages. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, we we played uh, other teams in the in Cape Province in uh, in Western Province. Uh, I got a chance to coach the Western Province. Uh, provincial team in, in the South African World Cha- or, uh, Country Championships. Uh, and we ended up, uh, the weather got bad, so they had to call it off early. And I think three of us were tied for first place. But that, uh, that's where really I started coaching uh, at softball. I played basketball in college. I played basketball for Camp Lejeune when I was in the Marine Corps. But the softball part started in, in South Africa. As far as how I got to the St. Joe's, I, I went back 
and was at uh, headquarters Marine Corps working for uh, General Wilson, who was the Commandant of Marine Corps on the Strategic Arms Limitation Talks. And I didn't join the Marine Corps to shuffle papers, so I figured out I'm going to retire. So a friend of mine was was uh, the admissions director or the um, alumni director at, at my, my old school, St. Anselm, and he told me the job at St. Joe's was coming up. So I figured out what the heck I'll apply. So I applied to it and uh, didn't think I'd have much of a chance because they have no background in, in college education or anything. But uh, next thing you know, I, I was one of four that came up for an interview. And, and I interviewed with uh, Sister Dolores, who was the acting president at the time, and uh, ended up getting hired. And finding out later, I think the reason I got hired, because Sister Joyce was on the search committee, and I know you're aware of the fact that they only went co-ed probably two or three years after I got to campus. I think it was 1977. Up until then, they were a women's college. When they, and then they went co-ed. And uh, she said, well, here's an old retired Marine. Let's bring him on board because he'll he'll keep the guys in line, <laughs> which <laughs> probably happened to some extent. But I remember one of my first meetings uh, uh, with uh, with Dr. Santoro, and he was at one end, I was at the other end of the table, and there was three three nuns on one side of us and three nuns on the other side of us, all in habit, all yelling and screaming at me why I couldn't control the guys, and I. I guess I started off by telling them, I said they weren't running a convent school any longer, and if the and if the, they needed a kick in the butt, I'd give it to them. But let me do my job. So that's how I started it at St. Joe's in uh, in in July of 1979. It was kind of interesting because Sister Deluxe, I mean, I was working down in the bowels of the Pentagon, and someone said, Colonel Bailey, you got a phone call, and it was Sister Dolores offering me the job, and I said. How did you? How did you even find me? Because my my own office was up at Headquarters Marine Corps up by uh, Arlington Cemetery. So I have to this day I never understood how she ever found where I was at that particular time. But I ended up getting the job. Uh, Catholic school, you know, we 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 were guided by higher yep. powers, right? You have spies all over the place. <laughs> well, that that's that's quite the story. It's interesting that that your time coincided right with. Uh, when athletics started to take off here, like when Rick Simons came on board and, and started to build a, a powerhouse men's basketball program and, and women's basketball wasn't too far behind. Oh, yeah. They, he was, uh, Rick came on board the same summer. Dr. Santoro was the new president. He came on board the same summer. I'm not sure if Jimmy Grapham did. Michael McDivitt. Mike came down as, as a student from Ellsworth to play basketball. Chris Kiernan had been the coach up until then. He stayed on his, uh, he ran the external degree program. And then Rick came on board to take over the uh, athletic program and the men's basketball. It was a, it was a, it was a fun time. Yeah. But with the, with the chamber of horrors and, and, you know, even some national news coverage and things like that. I mean, what a, what a, what a great story for a small school here in Southern Maine. Yeah. One of the other interesting things, uh, was, uh, the former president, uh, Courier, yep. was my, who, who, he passed away at Christmas Day of 1978. That's when Sister Dolores was acting president. But 
Bernie Courier was my freshman basketball coach at St. Anselm. Wow. Which was which was kind of a, kind of interesting. Yeah, it's funny how everything ties together when you know it, it all seems so random. Um, now I want to backtrack just a little bit, Coach. Uh, talk, if you would, uh, about your military experience a little bit. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't visit that some because you have a very impressive military uh, background and history of service. Well, I don't know how impressive it was. I, I did what other <laughs> Marines were doing at the time. Uh, ended up, uh, you know, going out, getting a commission after graduating from St. A's in 59 and Going through the regular route, I went through artillery school. I was in artillery. Uh, an, an interesting thing I had is uh, in 19, I guess it was 65, uh, Faith and I and the kids were coming home for a couple of weeks leave, and I was down to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I, I got a, a telegram saying, no, head to California. You've got two weeks to get there. Now, in fact, it was less than that. I think it was like 10 days. I had to move out of base quarters and drive across country to uh, to uh, Camp uh, Camp Pendleton. And when I reported in, there was three jobs open, and one was an, one was uh, uh, the battery commander, an artillery, uh, commanding officer of an artillery battery. And there was a couple other jobs, and he offered me that job. And when I started, I was the only guy on what we referred to as our unit diary. It was just me. At the end of uh, a number of weeks, I had 128 enlisted uh, nine other officers and two corpsmen and we and we trained for uh, six months and then I took them to Vietnam the, the entire battery to Vietnam so that was kind of interesting because not everyone gets the opportunity to, to form up their own unit and then take them to combat so I did I did that part uh, I had some other interesting jobs uh, but Again, nothing nothing unusual. I, I had a chance. I went to the Naval War College, the command and staff course, picked up a master's degree while I was there. And the unfortunate thing, I ran a Marine Corps Reserve Center in Providence, Rhode Island, for, for a little over a year. And it, it had three artillery batteries, which was fine. But, but the tough part of that is that I was responsible for Rhode Island, Connecticut, and part of Massachusetts to make casualty calls. So I had to go around and, and knock on doors and tell mothers and fathers or, or wives that their husband or their, their 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 son had been killed in action, and that 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 was not a not was not a pleasant time. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, you know, thanks for thanks for sharing uh, some of the information, and and you know, thank you thank you for your service. Obviously, it sounds like. You know, ending up uh, in the Pentagon and then coming to St. Joe's—that's not a typical path on how people end up here. Uh, that's that's pretty cool to hear. Uh, well, I'm lucky I got here because uh, President, uh, the president at the time was was Jimmy Carter, and uh, there was a gas rationing. Right. So I had a pickup truck, and Faith had the car, and. And very fortunate for us, we had we had different last num- last numbers on our license plate. One was even, and one was odd, because on one day you could get gas if you had the even, the other day if you had the odd. So I was able to make it as far as Enfield, Connecticut, before I was running out of gas in both vehicles. And my brother Albert came down from East Long Meadow with a couple of tanks of gas and, and got me that far. So 
it was a it was an interesting experience on the drive up. Oh, to say the least, that had to be nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> so, coach, talk about how the how the softball job came about here at St. Joseph's. We were going through two or three different softball coaches at the time, and I, I I'm trying to think if we built the field before then or was the well. I don't rec- I don't recall. I think the fields were built by then, but uh, there was an opening, and so I chatted with Rick. I say, Rick, I'm going to go over and ask Doctor Santoro if keep minds if I coach. And so I went over and, and uh, had a meeting with him, and I said, Hey, it won't interfere with my dean of students' responsibilities. It'll be weekends, nights, and blah blah, and everything else. And he said, Go ahead and do it. So that's basically how I <coughs> ended up coaching. And I and I'm pretty sure the fields were built by that time, but that, that how that came around was kind of interesting because at that time, I think Gene Zimmerman was coaching the softball team, and they were playing their games at a at a elementary school over in I think in Gorham somewhere, and Jimmy was coaching the baseball team, and they had to go down to Deering, down to Portland to play baseball. So I went. I remember going to Doctor Seattle. I says, "We need to build our own fields here." Mm. And he, he mentioned to me, he said, what's it going to cost, Twenty five, thirty thousand. 30000 Now, this is in the mid-'80s. And I, I didn't lie to him. I said, gee, Dr. Santoro, I'm not sure. Because I wasn't sure, but I knew it would be a hell of a lot more than twenty five, thirty thousand. 30000 So he went to the board. The board made me the clerk of the works. And that's how we started. And they started to get nervous because I brought in over 100,000 cubic yards of fill. <laughs> And we filled a swamp. And if we didn't build those fields when we built them, before wetlands came in, I don't know where the baseball softball fields were going to fit on campus. Right. And, see, and the board even started to say, ask me, Bailey, what the hell are you doing? And all I was doing, I, I told the Maetas and the Shaws, the people bringing the dirt, and, uh, and I think I had Jimmy Vickers from – Sports Fields was doing some of the work here. He says, tell me when you have 600 feet from home plate to home plate. Because I wanted to get both fields there. And I told Dr. Seattle, we'll probably play soccer in the field. Mm. Never intended that to happen. As soon as the fields were built, I told Jimmy, grab them, put your fence up. <laughs> and that's how we ended up with the softball fields. I used to... Rick used to look out his window, and my office was at the other end of the, the new little addition there. Rick used to look out his window. I'd be out there with my sneakers on uh, in a three-piece suit. I'd take my suit jacket off and loosen my tie, and I'd cut the softball field by hand with a walking mower. And I did that I don't know for how long. I always wanted it to look good. Wow. Oh, it's it's funny. I think I know what you're saying. Like with the wetlands, you know, today that probably you could never do that today. Oh, you couldn't. You couldn't yeah. do it. The statute of limitations is in our favor here. I think. Oh yeah. If we didn't do it when we did, I I we never would have been able to do it. Wow, that's a. Great and I story. always remember, I Corey, I always remember my first win because it was against Hudson. Mm. It was at home, and we weren't. You know, we're, we're just starting. We weren't very good. And had a run around third. I don't remember who that was, but I think Laura Zenzius was at bat, and there was less than two outs, and it was the last inning, and the score was tied. 
<laughs> I guess I called a timeout. And I, and I said, okay, X pitch, uh, drop it down because she's coming. Hmm. So got it all set. Pitch goes in, runner brace from third. The ball's probably six inches over Laura's head. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> she's going to just catch it. She's going to jump up, catch it, and tell her going out. Laura held the bat straight up and down, dropped down the most perfect bunt, kid slid, slid across home plate, and I beat Pam, Pam Hennessy. So that was the start of my St. Joe's career. Wow. I love that. That's what this stuff is all about, man. That That's a great, that's a great memory right there. You never forget that first win. No. Especially when it happens like that. Oh yeah. I know it. I know it. <laughs> so you said, you know, we were just kind of starting out with building a program and, and, you know, when did you know you had something special where you were starting to, you know, build some championship contenders? It wasn't long after that. I mean, yeah, you have to understand back when Rick and I started, there was probably 500 students here. Right. And uh, most of them were women because, again, it was a women's college. So we, we it, it, it took a while to build it. But I I didn't mind recruiting. I'd go down to Boston. I'd go, I, heck, I'd jump in the car after work or drive down and watch it and recruit. And I remember I tried to get, heck, I tried to get everybody. I remember one of the kids I tried to recruit was Joanne Palumbo from Brunswick. Uh, she had a pretty good career at the at the UMaine RO and as coach at Duke, but now she wasn't anything to do with me. But it was it was you just had to work hard at it. But uh, little by little, you know, it all came together. So talk about some of your your championship years. Uh, some really tremendous records and some really top notch players, Hall of Famers here. Uh, you know, the Kelly Murphys and, and you know, people that preceded her. Just kind of talk about some of those teams. Yeah. Probably, probably the, the, my first really big recruit, there was, there was a number of very good ones, was Danny Waterman. And I had to convince Danny, she, you know, she's from Bonnie Eagle. You know, come to St. Joe's. You don't, you know, well, I want to get away from home. You, you want to away from home. You're living on campus. I said, the nice thing of being this close, you could run home and get a meal, and you could run home and have your mother do your laundry for you. So she was she was one of my, my first big recruits. And if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have gotten to the NAI tournament. And the, the only thing I always feel sorry about is that in order for us to get there and, and to beat all the competition and then go down and beat Georgian Court and everything, is, is uh, Jamie was with me then. As we wore, we wore her out. You know, her arm was just dead by the time we even got down to Georgian Court. And so I always felt bad about it. She's my first All-American, and she deserved it. But, you know, she was just she was just worn out. And the thing about it, 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 it I had this habit. Of, I don't care how good a batter you were. And, 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 and Danny batted fourth for Bonnie Eagle, very good hitter. I said, you're never going to hit for me. I said, I can't take the chance that you pulling a quad or, or a muscle or twisting an ankle, running the bases. I said, you're going to pitch, and that's all you're going to do. And it worked out well. Uh, I mean, somebody, I mean, the, the, the year I left was probably that team there probably had more talent than, than combined talent. I mean, I had Hope Favor, who was, I remember recruiting Hope from Mount Ararat, going up and 
I was rec- I was recruiting recruiting Andy Goggin from uh, from uh, Gardner High School, and I'm talking to Andy after the game, and she's a shortstop, and she says, "Hey, coach, you never mind talking to me. You ought to be talking to their shortstop." So I went over to introduce myself to Hope Favreau, and the first question out of her mouth was, uh, "Do you have ice hockey?" I'm thinking, "Who the hell is this kid?" <laughs> And she was on the wait list to go to Bowden, and thank God she didn't come off it because she was she was such a fantastic player. And she's one of the she's one of the kids we started on ROTC on campus, and she went on ROTC. And she just retired as an Army Colonel, living down in Florida. So okay. I've got you know has a very good one. Lisa Pekaski was a heck of a ball player, and Murphy. If I were still coaching, she would have come back for her fifth year because she had a, she couldn't play her first year. And if I were coaching, I would just told her, her father, Dan, I said, hey, pay for another year because she's coming back and playing her fourth year of softball because she was just out of this world. And she was a transfer, right? No. No? <clears throat> no, she just, uh, she she shotgunned this letter to, oh, my God, probably every, I don't know how many colleges in the country. And I got it, and I looked at it, and I called Karen Mullen, who was a, the Coach, good friend of mine, was, uh, was a head coach out of UConn. I said, Carrie, this kid should be looking at you, not me. And she said, she can't get in here from an academic point of view. And, and Murph was a little little short on, on uh, qualifications. And so her first year, she couldn't play. And I remember we played – this is back when, 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 when softball was great because we could play all the fall ball games we wanted to. And every weekend – we had, I had UConn, UMaine Arno, uh, St. Anselm, Manhattan, SUNY New Paltz. I had every weekend, I had, I had two or three other teams coming from all over the, New England to want to play in our softball tournament. And it was, it was just, just fun. And so I had Murphy was, we used to have a, the, the, the bullpen was right behind where uh, the uh, dugouts are. And so I'd have, I remember one, one year we had Janet Anderson, had Eumaine Arnold down there, and Murphy's over in the bullpen just warming up, just throwing. She can't play. She's ineligible. And, and Janet says, who's that? I said, well, that's, that's next year's project. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun recruiting. We had, a, we, had, we had a great team. Now you didn't want those D1 schools seeing her and trying to oh, no. somehow get her. <laughs> oh, no. No, because yeah. she, oh, she definitely was a D1 pitcher. Yeah. So, Coach, I talk about, you know, we, we've touched on it a little bit, um, what St. Joe's was like when you first got here versus what it is now in, in your, your later years as a, as a co-head coach with Jamie Smythe, uh, how much this place has changed and grown. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really night and day. Uh, again, when, when Rick and I started – we had the chamber, you know, it was, and there was, there was there was no gym. Uh, we had the townhouses in, in, in St. Joe's, uh, and uh, then we built O'Connor Hall, built Standish Hall. You know, it didn't have any of the other buildings, so everything we did, we had it. We had to go somewhere else, and and like I said, I, I think I think things from softball, baseball. 
turned around when we got the fields. Mm. Because nothing attracts kids more than if you've got the right facilities. And I don't know how the hell Rick did it all the years he did just playing in the chamber. Because no, nobody wanted to come and play us in the chamber. I was going to ask you how he did it. Oh, my God. Some of the recruits, some I, of the players it was, it was, over those years. Jimmy Graff used to laugh at me because I'd come in and I'd, you walk in the front door and I would sit up in the back bleachers right up there in that corner by the front door. And Rick and the other teams would be down the other end on the other side of the floor. And I had a plastic telephone hanging there. Just a red, red phone, just an old plastic telephone. So I pick it up every now and then, like I'm calling Rick, like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> you know, and they'd look and they laugh at me and everything else. But they, they, the guys we had, they're a little rambunctious. I know, I know, Bruce uh, didn't like coming down there from Hudson. Joey didn't like coming over from USM. It was a tough place to play in. And of course, if you had 200 people, you were beyond packed. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, this is back when the the teams had to dress in the bathrooms, you know. We built that little addition in the back. Jim Keeley was a contractor from Keeley uh, Construction. He built that little part in the back, and we thought that was great uh, because we had we had no locker rooms or anything else for these players. Uh, college athletics has changed across the board in, in so many ways with that, with facilities and, and you know D three schools having these huge, huge, beautiful buildings that you know it's such a recruiting game. Um, oh, it's nice with the you know the gym and that facility and now the turf field and everything else. It's uh, college come a long way. Definitely, I, I like looking at the old pictures of campus where there was kind of a there was like a forest in the middle of campus. Like you, oh, there was. You wouldn't recognize uh, this as being the same place. There was a little chapel down below between uh, St. Joe's and Mercy Hall. There was a little chapel down there, and that was the Barrels Chapel, the previous owners. No, and, 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 and Dr. Santori, you know, he deserves a lot of credit because he, he did a lot of things here. Like I said here, we never would have built those fields if, if he didn't give the okay and go to the board and, and work his magic to get that done. You know, and then it was people like Jim McBrady and Harold Waring and Leo Cronin, and, you know, and, and Sister Joyce was there. Sister Joyce was out uh, politicking and getting, you know, the light poles and everything else from the telephone company. She, they, it, it was... Uh, it was interesting. Yeah, everything was built uh, with a lot of a lot of hard work. I mean, you're mowing the, you know, the the field parameters and and you know having the wetlands filled in with dirt, kind of secretively, and <laughs> you know, and I, I know Will Sanborn has stories on on how he did some of the uh, improvements over at at Mahaney Diamond. So, oh yeah, yeah, Will's. I mean, Will was one of obviously one of my students. Jamie was one of my students. McDivitt was, uh, Reese Hagerman with that graduated. Joe Laughlin was my first assistant, uh, uh, Dean of Students. And he, he, he only lasted a couple of years, but he did pretty good, uh, retiring as the, uh, deputy police chief of Portland. Right. So, uh, we've, we've had, we've had some interesting people. Definitely. Now, during your time as, as, uh, Dean of Students, you know, I, I've heard some stories over the years and, and, and never fail when, when we come back for the Hall of Fame ceremony, you know, one of, one of the first people that uh, a lot of these former athletes want to speak to is you. And they all, they all have a connection and, and uh, you know, definitely goes back to those Dean of Student times. I'll talk about some of your best memories working with students 
uh, maybe well, funny, a, maybe funny times. Of, I was the dean of exception because the one year that the men and women both won and were going out the Kemper Arena after the games. I opened up, uh, John Hogan was the manager of the cap of the chalet. I said, I opened up the chalet for just the players and the coaches and their parents and no one else. And obviously sister Joyce and some of the other sisters were there. Two wonderful wins and two great teams. Carolyn Brooks was on that team. We hadn't, heading to, uh, heading to Kepler Arena. Yeah. Those had to be some crazy times. And David Chad born, uh, uh, you know, knocking down David and Goliath there when uh, when they when, when they won that first game, right? Right. Those were those were some crazy teams, and I'm just you know I I just do the research and record book stuff on them, and I I can't imagine you know a, a school of five six hundred kids, you know, going against some of these real powerhouses, and I know things oh, were different yeah. different back in the NAIA days a little bit, but. Um, like you're talking about how you, you were playing games in the fall versus some of these D1 schools coming to campus. And, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be a lot of fun now, but that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and the thing about it, Corey, as you know, the NAIA back then, it probably still is, is, uh, gift scholarships. Yeah. We couldn't because we we're NAIA and division three NCAA. So the teams were playing our scholarship ball, our scholarship teams were, were, uh, you know, the, the, they get they get free rides to go to college. We didn't have that. So yeah, that is a David versus Goliath kind of thing for sure. Now what you know you, you mentioned your first win and, and some other uh, particular games, but there's is there one game during your coaching career, one memory that stands out? You know, maybe a story you tell more than others. Oh boy, it's probably it probably is that Georgian Court game down there because Georgia court has cleaned our clock every year prior to this game. Mm. And, 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 and we're down there in New Jersey playing them. And I think, you know, we just give it in and, and Danny's out there doing her, her best. And I finally got to pull her out because she's just, she's just worn out. In the, and it was, I think we're behind four to two. And I brought in Cindy Kamzik. Now, Cindy was, Cindy was a little nervous, to, to say the least, to come into the ball game. And uh, I taught her, I don't know if it was a Lisa Fernandez uh, pitch. I had her throw a change where she really threw it off her back elbow. She she rotated her arm and just flipped it. And she came in, and, and I guess if the score was 4-2, to two, Georgia Cole was ahead of us. I don't remember how we scored, where we scored, but we ended up winning the ball game on a fluke play. I think Linda Hebstead was on third base and there was a, a wild pitch. But at Georgia Court, they had an eggshell for a backstop. Now, some people don't know what an eggshell is. It's probably 10 feet at most behind the catcher and then it hangs out over the plate. So balls don't really go flying over the backstop. And so you really can't get home, even on a pass ball. So there's a there's a wild pitch, and it hits the backstop and ricochets down the first baseline. And Linda Hempstead scores, and we win the ball game. Hmm. Now, that's a game that I will always remember. 
Now, now, when you returned after your time at, at Colby College and, and came back as an assistant and then as a co-head coach, uh, early in those years, uh, our softball field was, was rightfully dedicated as Richard W. Bailey Field. Talk about what that day was like for you and what that means for you to have your name on, on the field that you ostensibly you know, built here at St. Joe's. Well, first off, when I left, when I left Colby, I was 74. And I figured, I'm all done. You know, I, I enjoy, I could have stayed at Colby, but I figured, nah, I'm just, I'm tired out. I'm, I'm all done. I'm going home. And I live up here in Dresden, which is 55 miles from St. Joe's and 40 something miles from Colby. And, and I told Faith, I said, I'm just going to hang it up. So next thing you know, I won't call him. My, 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 my third son, Jamie, called me up. He says, I need a pitching coach. You got to come back here. I said, don't want to go find one. So, make a long story short, I ended up coming back down there and uh, and uh, giving him a hand. And I enjoy. I mean, I, I love coaching. I still love coaching. The reason I stopped coaching, I the fifty five mile drive down there. If I if I were living in Wyndham, uh, up there in Raymond, on uh, Pipeline Road, and ten minutes from campus, they they'd be carrying my body off the field. I I just couldn't tolerate the rod the drive anymore. So yeah. that's why I stopped that. But I couldn't refuse Jamie. You know, Jamie's been with me a long time. We went down, uh, when we left here, we went down to uh, Westport College, which was an interesting experience for a year. And I remember Jamie said, would you mind if I go back to St. Joe's? I said, absolutely not. Uh, you know, he's a St. Joe's grad. He loves the college, and he's very good at what he does. So I came back and worked with him. Uh, had, had some wonderful players, Matty and, and Liz Dunn and, uh, you know, and, just some other really good players and, and enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. And I, I, I told after two or three years, I said, okay, Jamie, I got X number of wins. I got to be a co-head coach and I get the 500 wins. So he says, it's fine with me. Cause I says, Hey, Ralph, Ralph, uh, weekly and his wife have been co-head coach at the university of Tennessee forever. So I know, I said, I know you could do it. I said, I don't want to just step on your toes. He says, not in the slightest. So we did that for the last eight or 10 years. I don't know eight or nine years or something, but it just, uh, at 85, Corey, I think it was a good time, a good year to hang it up. Yeah. And you've, you've talked about, you know, when you started coaching at the college level, you were, you were 50 years old, correct? Yep. Yep. 50 or 51. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I started, I started coaching with, with, before Jay, you know, Jamie's been coaching all these years. And he hasn't reached that number yet. <laughs> I told him he's got another 35 years ago. Oh boy. Right. Uh, talk about some of those teams when you did come back. Those are some really good teams. You guys won championships, won to the NCAA tournaments, won some games, you know, Emily Leveroni, Daniel Schufelt, you know, some of the more recent names in those teams. Uh, talk about those groups and maybe, you know, uh, everybody asks, how do you compare or, or contrast those with some of the teams you had during your time on your first stint here? Oh boy. It, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I, I'd like to take one of Danny Waterman's teams and I'd like to take one of Lisa Pekaski and Kelly Murphy's teams and play and, and have those teams play against Jamie. The best team if I was here the second time around. I think that would make it with Leveroni and Lindsey Wagner and uh, Carol 
uh, you know, you got, you got to help me because I'm getting old. Lisa Dunn, uh, uh, Labby Ketchin. Yep. I mean, they're, 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 great, they're great ball clubs. Leveroni was in a world all her own. I mean, she's a hell of a ball player. I mean, one of the things about Leveroni is is the career home run record before she got here was 13. I think she ended her career with 42. So, yeah, she's just she's <laughs> not telling you. And she's just, she was as good an outfielder as she was a, a batter. Right. She could track anything down. No, those those were some... She felt, she felt was a, a feisty little kid. Slapper. She was a she slapper. Was, oh, she was a slapper, and she kept stepping out of the box, so I, I worked with her. I said, I said Danielle, you got to do this. I said, you can't. You can't step out of the box. He's gonna, they're going to they're gonna call you out every time. So we worked on it, and we worked on it. And, and uh, she, in fact, didn't she lead the team in hitting? Yeah, she. Uh, I, think she I think she had more hits than everybody else on the, any of the teams. I, th- I think you're correct. Yeah, she she had a very high number of hits, and and certainly along with it, a lot of her teammates will be will be in the Hall of Fame someday. It'd be a whole other slew of, you know, Pertnier, uh, you know, some of those teams will entirely will be in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, it, that's it, a Corey different different story. But nowadays, I, that's why I feel sorry for some. All these athletic teams right now have great athletes, and they're going to get shortchanged because of the coronavirus. You know, they, they can't play. I mean, what chance are they going to have to get into the Hall of Fame someday? You know, I don't, I don't know if they, uh, Will's going to have to, they're going to have to make exceptions. But I don't know how you, I don't know how you're going to do that. Well, hopefully it doesn't last a heck of a lot too much longer. I mean, it's, oh it's, my God, uh, I hope not. you know, with the vaccine coming and, and, you know, yep. the NCAA is handing out waivers for additional uh, eligibility, like, uh, you know, like breath mints. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, if these kids are willing to, to come back and, and uh, pursue graduate degrees and things like that, they, they could have close to a four-year career, but that all yeah. remains to be seen. I, I get you. I mean, there are some, like you're saying, there's some really good athletes here that might not have a chance to put up the numbers that they would normally. But Yeah, unless they're coming back to get a master's degree or something, it would be pretty expensive for them just to come back to play a ball game. Right. This is true. Uh, but other players, oh my God, I'm old, you know, I'm forgetful. Uh, well, yeah, Lindsey Moore, uh, you know, Kim Jordan, Connie Grovo, Alyssa Dunn. Oh, Matt, yeah. Maddie Cluna. Yep. Uh, Kiara Walsh. Yep. Man, I mean, yeah. some of the, more of those kids are going to get into the Hall of Fame. I don't know when, but I they think it's going to happen. They should. Absolutely. Absolutely. So coach, what do you what are you doing these days to uh, you know, spend the time? Uh not a hell of a lot. Uh, you know, working around the house. Yeah. We still go out, go to grocery store, you know, go uh picks goes up to the gardener library, gets me books, so I'm reading reading more than usual. Waiting for the golf course to open up again. Yeah. Willie's re grip my clubs, my son will, so uh, so I'm ready for the golf season to start. Great, but it's not. I mean, it's, it's only, only so much you can do. I mean, as you know, the holidays. No, no, no family here. We we zoomed with all of the kids, the grandkids, and the, and the two great grandkids, and we're expecting uh, two more great grandkids. Uh, Lauren Bailey, a uh, uh, St. Joe's grad, is expecting. 
hmm. in August. Mike Pratt. And uh, Wooly's wife, uh, daughter-in-law, Corey, they're expecting child number two in August. So, and, and so Lauren, we're not, Faith and I are not doing a hell of a lot. No. Just to wait, wait to find out when we get in line to get, get our vaccine shots. Right, and that should be coming soon, hopefully. It sounds like so. that's the case. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lauren. Yeah, because, you know, look at Jamie now. His, he and his whole family are, you know, uh, quarantined now for foreseeable future. Yeah, uh, and that, you know. We, we had to get tested because face brother Mark was positive, and he, he'd come over. He, he and his brother Greg would come over to the house for uh, for uh, breakfast every Sunday, and so we had to get tested and kind of go under house arrest for a couple of weeks back a while ago, so you never know. No, you don't. You just got to be careful and smart and do the best you can. And right now, uh, I went on Johnny Seeds and I got all my seeds for my garden. So I'm, there you go. When, when I come end of March, first of April, I'll plant my garden. Oh, you're ahead of the game there for sure. Now, uh, Lauren Bailey, your your uh, granddaughter, you said correct? Yep. Uh, she played the cross here. Tip, Tip's another St. Joe's grad. Yep. Uh, and Lauren Bailey married Mike Pratt, a baseball Mike player. Mike Pratt. Correct? Yep. Yep. So yeah, we're we're St. Joe's through and through in the Bailey family for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. I think it. I think it upset Reese Hagerman back way back when because I went to Sister of Lars. I says my two sons had just graduated from Woodbridge High School. I says uh, I want them to go to St. Joe's. He says they're in. I'm not kidding. So he has done. He is. Uh, my my all my children have done very very well. That's awesome. That's something to be proud of for sure. And and uh, you know it, it's good to hear you're at least trying to uh, you know stay busy and and you have some plans for post Corona times to you know uh, keep busy. And I'm sure we'll see you back on campus uh, for games. I'm, I know you'll be back. And it, I told I told Coach uh, Sanborn. I said. Uh, don't uh, don't uh, close my uh, my St. Joe's uh, ID card down so I can still sneak in the back door. Oh, I don't think that'll be an issue. <laughs> I'll be a volunteer. I'll be a volunteer assistant. <laughs> well, you know, it's always great to see you at the golf tournament, and it was great to see you this fall. And that was a great uh, success run by uh, Mike McDevitt and uh, Margo Cosentino in the alumni office, and. And uh, hopefully we'll get things back to normal with Hall of Fame and, and golf tournament in the fall, and, and uh, we'll just act like this all never happened. Well, I had a wonderful time down there. It's a great school, and uh, I appreciate all they they've done for me, and I uh, I enjoyed my time there. All right, thanks, Dick. It was really great uh, catching up with you, and and we could probably go on for hours telling stories, and and uh, oh, this is a, this is this is more than enough. You can, you can cut anything you want out of it and just say he's, he's still upright. Well, hopefully for quite a while longer. So, All right. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Dick. Uh, really right, appreciate you joining care. us. Happy New Year. Same to you. Yep, bye-bye. Thank you, folks, for listening. Uh, this is your host, Corey McCarthy, signing off for Monk's Take. Tune in next time when we resume our origin series and speak to a coach about their beginnings in athletics. Very soon, we will have our next episode.